0: Anyway, Revelation chapter number one and don't want to alarm you this morning, but <clears throat> I have eighteen points this morning. <laughs> Leave it to my dad. I figured my dad or Bill Adams, one of the two. And <laughs> for those of you that like to do the, to keep notes, I know a few of y'all I watch try to jot down I actually printed out the outline, the major points. It's back there. I don't typically do that, but I think we can do this. Page count, I'm good. Okay, so we'll we'll see how this works. So that's back there if you, if, if somebody wanted to grab that. In fact, I guess if somebody wants it, Bill, is that what you're doing? Okay, if somebody wants it, wave down, Bill. Uh, yeah, Kara wants one for sure. So all right, Revelation chapter number one, and uh, we're going to begin. Oh. I put verse 5, let's read verse 4 and on down through the end of the chapter. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of earth, unto him that loved us and watched us from his own sins and his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion, and tribulation, and kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ, in the isle which is called Patmos, for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hands uh, I'm sorry, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass as they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as a sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And the the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Last week, We spoke about the subject of true religion uh, from James chapter 1. And in the spirit of the book of James, we talked a lot about how actions and works uh, out of our faith, that grow out of our faith, and how how we should live. We looked at the ideas of of relationship, faith and love, tied with religion, obedience, uh, when it comes to serving Christ. We saw that the Bible shows that both are necessary. If we have a true relationship with Christ, true religion, living the Christian life as a result. John 14, 15, If you love me, that's relationship, keep my commandments, true religion. Today, I, I don't intend to be so practical or philosophical. I have one goal this morning. I just want to lift up the name of our great Savior. Titled this, actually, after another one of my favorite songs. It's sometimes under the title, Our Great Savior. It's actually in uh, page 185 in the Baptist hymnal, but it's there. It's called Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. It's one, one of my favorites. and Written by one of the great evangelists of uh, a century ago, J. Wilbur Chapman. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving—he is with me to the end. In our text this morning is Revelation 1. You know, sometimes we talk about this in Sunday school. We started going through Revelation. That's why it's on my brain. Sometimes I say, "Well, it's the Revelation of Saint John." That's kind of what the heading here, chapter heading, book heading, in uh, in this uh, in, in, my, in my Bible says. But it says uh, the you know Revelation of Saint John the Divine. Well, that's not exactly accurate. I've heard some people say it's the revelation, the revealing of the future. That's not exactly accurate either. Verse 1 tells us who's being revealed. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. The curtain is being drawn back and we see the stage set and out comes Christ in His glory, in His splendor, in His might. In this book, we find the Lamb of God that died for our sins revealed as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We find the meek and lowly friend of sinners revealed in power and majesty. We find the one that laid aside all of heaven's splendor revealed with a glory the heavens cannot contain. Now, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I even put it on the paper. I'm not trying to rob any credit. I stole the outline. Preachers do that every now and then. So I say borrow. We borrow. We don't steal. Anyway, I got a book, an old book, Frank Gotso, an old Baptist preacher, and uh, come across a book of his called Riches and Revelation, published in 1950. And I, this outline was in there, and boy, I thought it was good. And so I'm going to try it out. We'll see how good it is by <laughs> the time we get done. But yes, 18 points, we're going to move very fast. And I'm going to tell you that's partly on purpose. We're going to move fast because I want us to be overwhelmed with the greatness. I want us to just be bombarded with so many reasons why our Savior is majestic our savior is great that's what our goal is this morning let's lift up the name of christ beginning in verse 5 number one he is god's savior for humanity it says and from jesus the name jesus is from the hebrew yeshua what does it mean it means a savior the angel appeared to joseph in matthew chapter number one and said Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ Himself said, He is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19:10. What a way to start! If we're going to talk about Jesus, it all starts with He is our Savior. He and only He can save us from our sin debt and its penalty. That's where it starts for most people. John 4, 19 says, we love Him because He first loved us. We find His greatness through His great salvation. Number two, He is God's anointed one. It says Jesus Christ. Christ is not a last name. It's not Mr. and Mrs. Christ and their son Jesus Christ. That's not how this works. That Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means Messiah anointed one all the hundreds of pictures prophecies types all the promises of the old testament point to him he is the seed of woman in genesis 3:15 he's the faithful servant of isaiah 53 he's the one born of a virgin in isaiah 7:14 he's the stone not cut by hands in daniel chapter number 2 he is the messiah he is the anointed one anointed with power and authority number 3 he is god's prophet says who is the faithful witness john 118 no man hath seen god at any time the only uh, at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him how do we know who god is because christ came to reveal him to us hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to unto us by His Son, by Christ. We echo the words of those who were sent to arrest Him. They said, why didn't you arrest Him? They said, never, never man spake like this man. Simon Peter, John 6:68, 6, said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He is the prophet. He tells us the truth. He reveals to us all that we need. Verse 4, or chapter, or number 4. He is God's firstborn from the dead. Scripture says, and the first begotten of the dead. The Old Testament tells us of three people that were raised from the dead. Unless you want to get into the theories on Jonah. Did Jonah die? Jonah not. Well, there's three people that were raised from the dead. The Gospels tell us of three people that Christ raised from the dead overlook details sometimes at the crucifixion Matthew 27 verses 52 and 53 it talks about the some saints that were resurrected at the moment of his death all these were raised temporarily all these fell victim to death again they just merely kind of got a little break in their sentence death reclaimed them but Christ he didn't just escape death he conquered it. And through Him, we can have the same victory. Number five, He is God's King and the Prince of the kings of the earth. King David wrote in Psalm 2, Yet have I set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that is the, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is Lord, is Lord, is Master, is King, is authority to the glory of God the Father. Number six, He is God's expression of love for us unto him that loved us. First John 4:10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How do we know God's love for us? Look at what he gave. He was spared not his own son. He's God's expression of love for us. Number seven, he is God's redemption and washed us from our sins in His own blood. We highlighted that this morning at Sunday School. His own blood. He paid the price with His own blood. He cleanses us through His own blood. He didn't just say, oh, I'll take care of that and call up somebody else to pay the price. No, in His own blood, He cleanses us. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Revelation 7:14, talking about some of the martyrs of the tribulation. says, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's not just for them, that's for everybody. We can have our hearts, have our souls cleansed, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. Going on to verse number 6, number 8. He is God's means of elevating us. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. We who were the enemies of God, we who were marred, stained, crippled by sin through Christ are made joint heirs, priests, kings, friends, sons, so on. Go keep looking at all the adjectives, go look at all the promises. We have all that. God took us, He reached way down for us, as the Psalm said. But look at how high He lifts us up. Praise God for His elevation when He lifts us up. Verse number or number nine. He is God's object of adoration and praise. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By the way, there's a twofold doxology here. It says glory and dominion. If you go over to chapter four, verses nine through eleven, there's a threefold doxology: glory, honor power, dynamis, uh, kinetic power. And uh, if you go over to chapter 5, verse 13, there's a fourfold doxology. It just keeps building. And there's a fourfold. It says blessing, honor, glory, power, and there it's kratos. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's authority. It's the right. And then if you go to chapter 7, verse number 12, there's a sevenfold doxology. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, that's dynamis, and might just keeps building. Once you get started praising Him, it just builds and builds and builds. He's God's object of adoration and praise. Going down to verse 7 for our tenth point. See, we're doing good. We're doing good. We're over halfway there. He is God's coming one. It says, Behold, He cometh with clouds. He will return. The rapture at any moment, the victory at Armageddon to close the tribulation, his kingdom for a thousand years. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's coming again. Down in verse number 8 for number 11. He is God's creator and creator completion. It says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I love that Alpha and Omega. The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet is saying I'm everything from A to Z. I'm complete. Kind of like those uh, those vitamins, everything from A to Z. Or if you're from Canada, it's A to Z. It's not what it goes most people's heads. But Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2 says, He's the author and finisher of our faith. He starts it and he finishes. You know, I'm really bad about starting stuff I don't finish. God doesn't have that problem. He starts it and he finishes it. He completes it. He's God's creator and completer. Verse number 13, number 12. He is God's presence among his churches. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Ephesians 1.22 tells us that He is the head of the church. He, is, he He's the top. He's the apex. When we look up, we don't look up to a man. We don't look up to a building. We don't look up to the congregation or the truth. We look up to Him. We have a living head at the top of our church. And He doesn't just sit back and observe us. He didn't just wind us up like a wind-up toy and let us go. No, he's active, he's moving, he's presence, he's in the midst of the churches. Boy, how different would we view church if we knew Christ was here in our midst. Maybe we'd dress a little different, maybe we'd act a little different. maybe we'd sing a little bit louder, maybe we'd get a better song leader this morning if we knew he was going to be here. But wouldn't it change it? But know this he cares, he watches, he guides our churches number 13 he's god's exalted and glorified one and you can chase this one down verse uh, from verse 13 down to number 16 there's a description there of christ and his glory and his power it says clothed with a garment down to the foot and it talks about his head and his hair is white like wool his eyes a flame of fire his feet like brass his voice like uh, many waters his countenance shining as the sun and its strength it matches the details of daniel 10 when daniel got a little glimpse of Christ, I believe, in Daniel 10. It matches the details there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John saw Christ transfigured, changed before them, Matthew 17 and others. It matches the details of Christ the Conqueror from Revelation 19 when He comes again at Armageddon and He comes in all the power and glory and authority that is due Him. All these details and descriptions match. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's not just a bloody corpse on a cross. He's not just whatever some renaissance artist dreamed up. He is manifested with God's overpowering glory that we cannot imagine, that we cannot even comprehend. He's greater than we could ever imagine. Down in verse number 16, number 14, He is God's director and defender of ministers. He had in His right hand seven stars. What are these seven stars? You go down to verse number 20. It says the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, there's different methods of interpreting this. I know angels, the word means messenger. doesn't necessarily have to be an angelic being. That word can mean both. and you prove that in Scripture, it's pretty easy to do. I think these are talking about the pastors of the churches personally. uh, These are the guys that are going to get the message. Of chapters two and three, and deliver them back to his churches. I think that's what's being talked about here. I don't want to glorify the office of pastor or to glorify myself, but it's a sobering thought to think that the pastors in the hand of Christ, sanctioned by him, accountable to him, judged of him. it's a it's a mighty weight that your pastors carry. You need to keep and just me to keep pastors in general in prayer. Number 15, He is God's judge of churches and ministers. In the midst of this, we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, but there is Christ and His power and His glory and all the honor and splendor in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks which represent the seven churches that He's about to deliver these messages to in chapter 2 and 3. And it says, And out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews 4:12 talks about how the Word of God is like a sharp, two-edged sword. When you go to Revelation 19, when Christ comes again at Armageddon, it says, "And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword; and with it he shall smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God." But here he is in the midst of the churches, and what does he have? He has a sword. He has a sword never really thought about before, never really considered. Why does he have a sword right there? There's no hint of an external enemy, though if you say, well, he's protecting the churches, I don't know if I'd have a problem with that interpretation. But I think it has to be applied to his role as head of the churches. I'll say this, he does not hesitate to execute judgment, to purge, to prune his own. Church is serious. Christianity is serious business, folks. I think we take some of this stuff way too lightly. It's like, "Oh, God will judge those people out there. God's judgment begins at the house of war." It's another very sobering thought to think about. Verse number seventeen, number sixteen. He is God's revelation of man's sinfulness, and John said, "When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." When the Israelites heard the voice of God, they just heard it. Exodus twenty. We talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago. When God gave the Ten Commandments, they heard, they didn't see them. Deuteronomy tells us, Moses told them, he said, you didn't see God, you heard Him." But when they heard God speak, the people backed up. Whoa, no, 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 we don't want to hear this. This is too much. Moses, you, just let God tell you, and then you tell us. This is too much. Just hearing the voice of God. They were afraid they would die from the experience. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, this train filled the temple. In Isaiah 6, what did he cry out woe is me I'm a man of unclean lips and people of uh, people of unclean lips he says look look at my sin when Daniel saw the glory of Christ we mentioned before Daniel 10 what happened to him he fell down he was overcome he was left lifeless when we or, or when the light of God's glory shines on us we become oh so aware of our unworthiness I've, I've told y'all the illustration before but I, I just i love it there's a story told about there in Arkansas that the last house in the county was finally getting electricity, and they made a big deal about it, and they, they got news crews out there, and there they are. They're, they're rolling cameras. Yeah, it was, was that what you are saying? <laughs> but they show up here, and, and, and they, the, the guy out there from the electric company flips a switch. The power's on at the house, and they go in. They flip the light switch, and the lights come on, and they asked the, the lady, the, the wife that lived there, this old lady, they said, What do you think? You've got electricity now. You've got electric lights. And she says, Wow, this place is dirty. That bright light, so much better than an old kerosene lamp or something, what did it do? It revealed, Hey, we got some work to do here. <laughs> it's often better just to close, close the door, turn off the light, just not think about it. You know? But when the light comes on, it reveals the dirt, it reveals that sin in our lives. Part of the reason Christ came was to be our perfect example. He showed us how to to live, but also He showed us how far short we fall. We all fall short of the glory of God. Do we not? And Christ, in His life, even though He gives us that model, He also is showing us, yeah, we can't do that. We need Him. No man uh, can... uh, when, when they're, they're near to, uh, can, can be near to Christ without also being humble, confessing their own unworthiness. You can't say, "Well, I'm walking with God without also being overwhelmed by His holiness." Those two go hand in hand. Verse number 18, the number 17. We're doing good. Hey, we're doing good. We're doing good. Number 17 from verse 18. He is God's ever living and life-giving One. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Like I said before, he's the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. And he shares that with us. We don't have to fear. Because we know he's already conquered it. He's already beat it. It's kind of like walking out of a restaurant knowing your bill's already been paid for. It feels pretty almost feel guilty walking out. I'm afraid somebody's gonna stop me. You know? But if somebody walked up and paid me That's the feeling when we when we have to cross that river. We don't have to have any fear. Jesus has already been there, already conquered it. In the words of Paul, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does the victory come from? Through His victory, He gets to share that. With us. I like uh, sometimes, I'm chasing the rabbit here. But, um, there there's a, I, I cannot remember the player's name, but when the Dallas Mavericks won the championship and stuff, there was a guy that was on the bench. And his nickname was the Human Victory Cigar. And the reason why he was called that was because the only time he played was when they were about to win. He got to play just the last minute when they were blowing somebody else out. So they said, when, you, when he came in, you knew they had won the game. Now, did he win the game? He did nothing. Dirk and the rest of the guys did all the work. But he got to come in. Hey, that was a win for him too. Let me tell you something. Christ did all the work. We just get to show up and share the win with him. He did it all. I don't know where that came from. Verse number 20. He's the revealer of God's mystery. Number 18. He is the revealer of God's... Uh, God's revealer of mysteries. Mystery of the seven stars, which I saw in the right hand, it goes into explaining that. You know, to us, a mystery is something unknown. We think of Agatha Christie and we think of uh, Sherlock Holmes and these things. It's a mystery. We got to figure out what's going on. We don't know what happened. You know, there are some things that are a mystery to us. The size of our galaxy, nobody knows. I've, you know, some scientists. Well, I calculated it to be this and this. We don't know how big it is. Why? Because we can't step back and measure it. You can't get your ruler out there and go do that. We don't know. Uh, Why we thought the Cowboys might win last week. That's a mystery too. There are some things we just don't know in this world. But the Bible definition of mystery is not something unknown. It's something that hasn't been revealed yet. It's a very different meaning. From our perspective, it's mystery. We don't know. From God's perspective, it's a mystery. He knows. He knows everything. Deuteronomy 29.29 29, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. What do I, what, I, what I do not know, He knows. That's a comfort to know. I don't have to know it all. He knows it all. What I need to know, He's revealed to me. In His care, He's given us what I need. Are there things I would love? There are some things I would love to know in the Scriptures. There are some little mystery things. that I would love to know, well, how did this work? How did that happen? How did this? I would love to know. But then what they, the deal is, it's not the things I don't know, it's the things I know that scare me when it comes to Scripture. What I do know, what He's revealed, that's what I need to know. By the way, there is no secret, there's no hidden knowledge when it comes to Christianity you ever see somebody say, here's the secret to being a Christian. There is no secret to it. I can tell you it all. It's hard to do, but there's no secret to it. For us, the greatest mystery is simply why He loved us. Unworthy and wretched to give His life to redeem us unto Him as a treasure. To walk, to live, to dwell with Him for eternity. That's the That's the only mystery I think we need to be concerned with. The songwriter, Mosey Lister don't hear this song very much anymore, but he wrote a song called The King and I. And it has nothing to do with the musical. But he wrote a song called The King and I, and I love the chorus to it. It says, Why he should care for me will always be a mystery. He holds the whole world in his hand, but what am I? And so my heart somehow is made to wonder why we're together, the King and I. That's that wonderful, that matchless grace of Jesus, 18 points about how great our Savior is and we could go on for an infinite many more and not even scratch the surface. A few statements here to wrap up. Sometimes we just need to stop and admire our Savior. It's sometimes gets a little too academic. Oh yes, He is God. Yes, He is omnipotent. Yes, He is omniscient, And we can get wrapped up in the theology. We can just get take for granted. Oh, yeah, he's my Savior. Yeah, he saved me. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, of course. Sometimes when you stop and just, who he is? He's the great God of this universe. He's the one that spoke the world in the place. He's never told a lie. His love is matchless. Let I me mean, look at what he's done. <laughs> he gave himself for us. I, I don't even know if I'd buy y'all Girl Scout cookies most days. I'd buy those for myself, you know. But he gave himself, all himself, his life. The agony, the torture to go through for us. Look at what he's done. Look at what he does. He walks with me, talks with me, tells me I am his own. joy we share we carry there. None other has ever known. How about what he will do? Read Revelation. So Boy, it's, it's terrible. You're reading the wrong parts. Go look at all the good stuff that's going to happen for the child of God. Look what lies ahead. Wipe away all tears from their eyes. Look at the good stuff, what He's going to do. Second, I want to say, make sure you truly know Him. This this last Wednesday night, I know we had a lot of folks out, but we went ahead and covered the second commandment. And, Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image. And Part of what we kind of got off on towards the end of that we're talking about and I think that God does not want our concept of Him to be molded by anything other than His revelation of Himself. He wants us to know Him as He wants us Not as somebody else wants us to know Him, but as He wants us to be known. And there's a lot of people say, well, Jesus would be this. It's so funny, every politician out there thinks Jesus would live and vote exactly like them. And I've got news for them I don't think Jesus means politics. Period. <laughs> but it's so funny. All the things I've heard. Oh, you know, Jesus, boy, he would be for saving the whales. Oh, Jesus, he would be for helping these refugees. Oh, Jesus, he he would he would be for having guns. I, I don't care whatever spectrum it is. It's so funny to me. People, we take Jesus and make him like us. He's not like us. He's infinite. He's greater. Reverse is actually what needs to happen. We need to be more like him. Don't make him anything he's not. And as Carrie comes, and Carrie, you're going to just be doing piano solo this morning for invitation, but I'll let you choose whatever song you'd like. The question of eternity all eternity hinges on what will you do with Jesus? Do you know? You know, so how many famous people do I know? Not many. But uh, biggest historical figure I think I can ever say I've actually kind of met was General Tommy Franks. If you like, who, uh, he's the one that led the uh, Iraq invasion. Uh, I went and I, I bought his book at a book signing deal and got it signed. I mean, that's a historical figure. I mean he shaped some history. That's probably about the biggest name I've never met a president. I waved at George W. Bush as he drove by once, but uh, I don't know if he saw me. Um been at the Brainders game with him there, you know, Nolan Ryan, some famous people, you know, legendary people, Nolan Ryan. Those people don't know me, but here's the thing, I don't have to, because I know the only one that matters, and that's Christ. And what's more important, he knows me too. That's all that matters. In the all broad scheme of things, do you know, you All eternity hinges, not on how much money you have, not how good you are, not whether you're good, outweighs your bad. What kind of car you drive, who you work for, where you live, all that stuff is inconsequential. The only thing on there is always going to be do you know Christ? Do you know God? Make sure that you do before it's too late. We'll stand, we'll have a short time of invitation here. What number? I guess if they want to sing along, 146. If you want to try to sing along without a leader, this carry plays. I'm so used to asking what number it is. Let's. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord. Different message, I know, but Lord, it's, it it honestly is overwhelming when we stop and look at the greatness of our Savior. It's incomprehensible. His love, His greatness, His power. Lord, it does us good just to stop and remember who You are, what You do, Your love towards us, Your authority, what lies ahead. Lord, so many aspects we could look at of this. We just scratched the surface of the greatness. Lord, I, I think we're going to spend most of eternity just in awe, if not all eternity in awe, never being, getting over how great you are towards us. Lord, simple message here, a lot of stuff, but it all goes back to our great Savior. Lord, let us stand in awe of Him. Let us love Him deeper. And Lord, let that affect our lives and how we live. Challenge us, I pray. Simple message, a lot of thoughts to go with it, Lord. But just challenge us to love our Savior more this morning. In the holy name, amen.